Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. All right, guys, welcome back to the rest of the sermon. Trust and hope that you had a blessed Christmas and a fantastic new year. We are now in 2022, which sounds like something straight out of a science fiction movie, but it's real life. So I hope you guys have had a great first of the year. Hey, listen, we are super excited about the rest of the sermon. And this year in 2022, we're going to be intentional about getting some guests in. The past couple of episodes that you guys listened to, you got to hear from some of our Grace Family pastors and what it meant for us to be a Grace Family church. And so in the near future, we're going to be having everybody from future Grace pastors to volunteers in the church or to just all-around swell people people be guests on the podcast. And today I'm excited because we don't have a guest. Ladies and gentlemen, we have back Mr. Tyler Saxton. Hello. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. Good, it's man. good to see you the first time this year. Yeah, dude. It's, it's been, good to have you back on the yeah, podcast, it's bro. It's nice to be back. It's been about, I, I think I was counting, it's been close to 12 weeks yeah, man. since I've been on the podcast. It's been... It's been a 12 weeks, man. Yeah, dude. So we informed everybody about your kind of eight weeks of silence with the cyst, non-cancerous and everything like that. Give us a little bit of an update of where you're at now, what's looking in the future and all that stuff. Yeah. So went back for a follow-up on December 21st and long story short, the cyst is still there. Um, It's not any larger, thank God. It's not any smaller, um, unfortunately. But so I was basically cleared to go about my usual life uh, and told, hey, you'll just be hoarse um, for a little while when you're done, whether it's singing or talking or preaching or teaching or anything like that. Um, but I do have a consultation. Um, one of the great things about some of the networks and doctors here in, in town is they don't have God complexes. They're like, hey, if we can't fix you, uh, we'll right. send you somewhere else. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I got referred to a doctor in St. Louis who I will see at the beginning of next month and maybe start talking surgery and what okay. that looks like. So yeah. um, the guy reassured me, he's like, by the way, the cyst looks enormous on this scope because this camera is like the size of a grain of rice. Sure. But uh, it's actually pretty small, and it would be pretty non-invasive, and the biggest thing would just be being very, very uh, rigid in the recovery time of yeah, all that sure. to not damage my voice as it recovers from surgery and possible scarring and stuff. So, yeah. Wow, man. But, so eight weeks of silence. Yeah, I didn't make it eight weeks. Sure. <laughs> I did, yeah. I, I don't think a, you were, dude, <clears throat> kudos to you because you were locked down and committed for a good six, it was six plus and a half, weeks. I counted it out. It was six and a half weeks. Yeah. And then, uh, Thanksgiving day rolled around and I was like, I got it. I'm just going to whisper today. Sure. I'll call my family and say happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. And then I quieted down for a few days and then um, talked a little bit more for the last week. Um, basically just kind of thought, hey, six and a half weeks or so is probably more than enough time of over yeah. rest. I've done no singing, uh, no long-term uh, speaking or anything like that. So If it's healed, it's healed. Yeah, kinda, that was yeah. my hope. So, sure, dude, absolutely. Test, when you go in there. Um, so peek behind the curtain to go to an ear, nose, throat doctor and get a scope of your vocal cords or your trachea. Um, You essentially go in and uh, it's a nice calming room Hmm. for a reason because it it is not a nice calming process. Right. Uh, They essentially take what looks like a black paper towel tube with a string on the end of it, but the string's made of plastic. And at the very end of that string, it's probably about two feet of string, there's like a tiny little light with a camera attached to it. 
Um, they're like, by way of, of bypassing your gag reflex, we go through the nose. Right. So they go up the nose, and then you can feel it go down the back of your throat, touch the back of your, your wow. tongue and everything. And uh, the whole time you're writhing in the chair. Like, yeah. So the second time. And I no went, gag? No, I was gagging the whole time. For sure. Yeah, dude, the doctor was wearing a face shield. For like, sure. For a reason. Absolutely. People, so, and the second time I went in, there were these two young women in there, and they were like, hey, uh, uh, we're medical students. We're just going to be standing in today. And I was like, that's great. I don't know how long you've been around this, but you're probably going to see me gag or maybe vomit all over right. your boss. So, yes. um, so it's not a comfortable experience, but um, it's not the end of the world. And so yeah. the, the silence was a, a trying time, a revealing time. Um, at first it was extremely difficult. Um, and then it got a little bit easier. As yeah. What was on. the most difficult thing? <clears throat> um, well, when you can't, and again, like I'm, very aware that this was a voluntary silence and there are, there are many people out there who literally don't have a trachea like who don't have sure. vocal cords to be able to communicate so um, I'm kind of maybe giving a little bit of a look into the window of someone's life like that who has it um, way differently than I do so um, but I think the hardest part just because you can't talk doesn't mean you can't think sure um, and a lot of I'm a very sensitive emotional guy um, I my feelings are riled easily and uh, there are a lot of times where either I'm pained or frustrated or whatever, and uh, my biggest my biggest struggle is the spinning mind, racing heart, tightening gut. I get the spinning mind already. Yeah. So launching into that season, not having a way to vocalize literally um, frustrations or to resolve conflict outside of like a texting app that I was using that yeah. spoke, which that in and of itself was difficult to keep up with the pace of conversations and and all of that, but, um, sure. Yeah. So just communication. Yeah, I think communication, but specifically in times of like conflict resolution or, um, or even just longer detailed conversations, like at the end of the day, when Kayla and I would sit down either at the table or, or in bed to kind of recap our days, like I found myself typing a lot Yeah, and then having her read it. And then she would ask questions and it would be more typing and more th like it, it was just a, Wow, a thirty-minute process that could be an eight-minute conversation. Sure, the day. So yeah, one of our hurdle. axioms is God is always present and at work. Yeah, and so what would be one thing that God sort of um, showed you, revealed to you in that season? Yeah, um, letting go of things. Yeah, um, takes practice. Mm. Um, that was a big takeaway for me. That's written in a journal that I kind of journaled throughout some of the season and everything. And the second thing was, um, just because I don't have a voice doesn't mean I don't have a song. Mm. Um, that just really resonated with me through the season. Um, found myself like thinking and, and just having songs in my head that I would normally sing out loud throughout the course of my day or in the car with the kids at home. And that was, a. Uh, that was comforting and the biggest takeaway to yeah. know that letting, letting things go takes practice, which I got a lot of practice on um, during that six and a half weeks. And then um, also has just given me tools and resources moving forward. So good, man. Yeah, that and just because you can't sing doesn't mean you don't have a song. It's good. Which is true for everybody, especially those of us who <laughs> can't carry a tune in a bucket. Amen. <laughs> like, Amen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's coming up. I got a follow up uh, on February seventh. We'll be up in St. Louis for the day. I think that's a Monday, and um, we'll do the appointment. And I don't know. Yeah, man. The St. Louis thing with the kiddos. So, yeah, we're glad to have you back, bro. Yeah, it's good to be back. It is. It's good to be back. So my former role and continuing role here on this podcast is the host. So 
you've done a great job. I mean, hey, there, there were three or four podcasts over the course. I caught up on the weekend, yeah. didn't get a chance to listen to it. It was hard weeks, to keep but, a, a schedule with it with just my current workload and yeah. then doing that and well, scheduling you, it. So. Well, I want to encourage you. You do a phenomenal job hosting I appreciate that. asking questions and guiding stuff. So um, we are launching into a new series at Westside. Every year we kind of either take a break from a book of the Bible and move into something topical for the new year time. Um, and sometimes we launch into a, a, a book of the Bible. But this year we're sort of revisiting an older series that yep. we did, what, like six years ago, seven years ago? More like seven, oh getting closer goodness. to seven years. It's called years. New Year, New Family. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because we have a lot of new people from the last seven years who maybe weren't around to hear or haven't yeah. dug around the archives. What is New Year, New Family about? And what are some of the tools and resources people can look forward to to putting in their belt by the time New Year, New Family's over? Yeah, so <laughs> many years ago, whenever Westside was growing, we had a lot of young people coming, newly married couples, people having kids. And so just in that season of shepherding, it was just kind of like, hey, we had spent like two years going through the Gospel of Mark. And so it was like, hey, let's just kind of pause and see what some felt needs are. And it was very apparent, like, oh, yeah. what is a family? What is all of this stuff? And so we just sort of broke it down from marriage, parenting, marriage roles, husband and wife, parenting, even singleness, all of that stuff. Yeah. And I think even to this day, there's still people that talk about there was a wave of people that came into Westside during that season. And they talk about how impactful that was primarily yeah. just because of the content, because it's something that's so immediate that you deal with. And so as we were going into the new year, I had looked kind of back through my preaching schedule and realized, man, it's been a while, you know, try to keep a regular rhythm of either addressing marriages or families or all of that stuff. And so we just sort yeah. of launched in the new year to do that. And it's funny going back through my my older sermon notes, just kind of like, ah, you know, um, but what, you Wait, know, give us an example um, of what made you go, ah, well, I think you're just preaching on stuff that you've read in a book, but you haven't experienced in your life. Yeah. And so it's like super easy. It was very rigid of two plus two equals four yeah. was what the original series was. Like, this is what Ephesians five says about husbands. And that is great. And that's yeah. super important. But now three kids, a decade of marriage right. and a lot of pastoring underneath that kind of there's some breathing room in this series and a couple of yeah. resources that have been super, super impactful. One that is just incredible is called The Family, A Christian Perspective on a Contemporary Home. And it's... Um, it's really a massively theological work. Um, I would also recommend Andreas Kossenberger's God, Marriage, and the Family. Yeah. These are really big academic resources that really go through with a fine-tooth comb and address, you know, push back on culture, on family. What does God's Word say about it and all of that stuff? When we get into the parenting stuff, we'll get a plethora of resources and everything on that. But this time, it's just sort of kind of the breathing room. And really, what we spent time on Sunday was just the foundation. That was one thing that when I looked back on the previous series, yeah. we sort of jumped just right into like, this is what a husband is. This is what, it, like, yeah. boom, boom, boom. Rather than backing up and going like, what is a family? Yeah. Why is it important? Yeah. Why is there pushback? How does my family of origin affect yeah. the family that I'm a part? Like just a lot of questions. So that's sort yeah. of where we started Sunday. That's really cool. I was just looking through my computer while you were talking and I think it was 2019 
Um, yeah, 2019, we did a series called Home. Yeah. Um, which uh, that's what I'm remembering. I don't have anything in this laptop from the first new year, new family. So I don't think we were here yet. I don't think so. Yeah, we if you were, <clears throat> you would have been. We came in right at the, I, th- I think, did you take a break from Mark, do new, new, new year, new family and wrap up Mark? Yeah, I think so. We came on the, the last series of Mark. That's, that's what, what it was. was. Wow. Yeah, that's yep. so bonkers, man. Yeah. That's so crazy. Well, yeah. this week, the focus of our, of our text, I'm going to read it. It's from Joshua chapter 24, uh, verses 14 and 15. I'm reading from the ESV. If you would like to follow along, grab your Bible, turn to Joshua 24, and I'm starting at verse 14. <clears throat> now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for his word. You opened up an illustration that I'd heard you use once before in my last, I guess, six and a half, six years or so yep. of being here at Westside, close to seven, of a lighthouse. Can you can you walk us through that illustration and and then kind of maybe move us into... I'm, I'm also like leaning heavily on you just in the first like five minutes of your sermon because yeah, sure. we had a technical difficulty and I had to run upstairs and figure some things out. So I missed a little bit of the details, although I've got your notes here. Walk us through that illustration. and and uh, Yeah, that, uh, that actually came from the original series and it's just about Robert Stevenson and the Bell... The Bell Rock Lighthouse, it's considered one of the seven great wonders of the engineer world. Long story short, it stands at 115 feet tall, this lighthouse off the coast of Scotland. Yeah. And it was covered with water for 20 hours out of the day. Only four hours, the tide would go out. And in the 200 years of its operation, it's actually still operating. One of the very few lighthouses that still operates just because of modern technology. They don't need them anymore, hardly. Yeah. Um, there hasn't been a single brick that has been repaired on that lighthouse. And everybody says it was because of what Robert Stevenson had done. And his inspiration for the lighthouse was actually an oak tree. He realized that oak trees by nature's engineering, i.e. God's engineering, they're able to go as high as they do because their roots go as deep as they do. So he, um, 2,500 granite stones. What's really interesting is these guys had to build a factory just for the granite stones. Hmm. So just the amount of engineering that went into this lighthouse is bonkers. But 2,500 granite stones are built literally into the rock, into the rock reef that is there. And just use that as sort of a segue into... That's what we want our families to be built on. Yeah. If this is something that is going to stand the test of time, yeah. if this is something that is highly important, and we'll get into that a little bit later, yeah. then it has to be built right, and, yeah. it, and it's got to have a firm foundation. Yeah. Well, a lot of us already have a foundation. A yep. lot of us have already have things that are built up in our families and, and basically things that we stand on that probably need to come down in order for a new thing to be built. Yep. Um, and so the application we had from there was to break down old foundations and to build up new foundations for our family. That's the goal of the series, is, man. Yeah, it's the goal of, of New Year, New Family, breaking down those old foundations and building up new ones. And in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 13, Paul says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care 
how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, capital D, will disclose it. Paul says he laid a foundation, but then it's interesting to me, further on in the verse, he tells the Corinthian church to take care how we build upon it. I know, I know we'll get to this in a bit, but why is it important that the gospel, that Christ be what we build our lives on as our foundation? Yeah, <clears throat> you know, I think what's interesting in that passage is when he says, you know, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, he kind of goes from, it's an argument from greater to lesser, yeah. but all of those are good things. All of those things would have been really valuable things. Yeah. And I think what we said Sunday is the temptation for us is to build our family on good things, but not God things. Yeah. And I think you see that, whether it be, you know, I don't, Boy Scouts, or the yeah. Boy Scouts is great. I think you should be involved. But what I'm saying is, if you are looking at anything else to yeah. instill values, character, and mold and shape, either your children or yeah. you as an individual or your marriage, those good things are going to be very tempting to do, yeah. but they're not going to be able to withstand the weight yeah. of your family. Yeah, and, and whatever it is that's there will govern the direction of your home. No question. It will govern the conversations. It will govern the, govern the decisions that you make, where you go, who you spend time with, which we'll get into all of that. Um, but then we get Jesus. We get Jesus here in Matthew 7. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And they huffed and puffed. That's, that's, <laughs> right. that's all I think. That's not my translation. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And the big idea for this week is, is just this. The only foundation to form a family is found in Jesus. Yep. The only foundation to build our lives to raise up a family that loves and honors the Lord and those around them in a healthy and meaningful and constructive way is to form a family found in Jesus, which is good, good news. But I love the way that you unpacked this when I kind of came back downstairs and was able to listen, the way that you kind of unpacked the differences between what you thought this passage was in the past and what it uh, what it actually is, like the, sure. di the difference between the wise man who built his house on the rock. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah, so, and we'll get into this a little bit more this week, but you read the passage differently when Jesus says, you know, you build your house. Oftentimes we think <clears throat> life, we think this, that, or the other. Yeah. The word house in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is the same word that Joshua uses in, in Joshua 24. Yeah. So it's absolutely applicable to say, you know, yeah. if, if anyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his home or family yeah. on the rock. And that all of a sudden opens up the passage and you start going, oh, yeah. oh, okay, yeah. I get it. Because we sort of read that in a moralistic way of don't do bad things, yeah. do good things in your life. Yeah. And, you know, bad things are sand. But then when we look at, oh, man, what values is governing my marriage, my kids, my dating life, all of those things. Yeah. And when you just sort of substitute home, house, family in there, sort of changes the game. Yeah, 100%. My mind goes towards the communal aspect of it. When when you think of the house as your life, um, it's very much so individualistic. When you yeah. think of it as your family, it becomes a holistic thing. Yep. Your, your church, your community, your family, and your husband, your wife, and your kids, yep. uh, which is the way that we are commanded to live 
Christianity is not an isolated thing. Yep. It is a public and corporate thing that we are invited into. God didn't invite us into a one-seat a race car he invited right. us into a house a family a real we, slow bus yeah <laughs> I mean, the image in my mind right now is so funny um so we talked to excuse me you'll hear me cough and clear my throat it happens like every 10 minutes um, i'm not sick or anything um, the only foundation to form a family is found in jesus and it's important because the family is foundational for how we are formed and our formation not just as people but in our christian walk and our love of the lord jesus christ um, and you said that it's true in both the positive and the negative like it's important that we know why the type of family that we come from to better understand how we've been shaped and there can be positive and negative things there and we're going to get into these four types of families that I love this list. And it's kind of a litmus test and a way to gauge yourself and those around you. But before we do that, I want to talk about a resource that you've mentioned in the past that I've read a little bit into and done some exercises from called Family Systems Theory. Yeah. That could maybe offer some really cool resources and tools for our people um, that we will include in the show notes uh, at the end of the show. You guys can find those. But can you talk about Bowen's Family Systems Theory, what that is and how it can be helpful? Yeah. So uh, Murray Bowen uh, was a psychiatrist, and basically he stepped back and looked at the family as sort of an emotional unit meaning that within one family, there's multiple um, emotional units. So if you take a family, there's a husband and a wife. Well, that's an emotional unit. And then the father to the children. And then if there's multiple children there, I mean, so if if you think a family is just one big circle, it's actually one giant circle with hundreds of smaller little circles in it. And what the family systems theory does is it assesses how, so let me back up. When we said that the family is foundational to our formation, yeah, that's an important sentence because I would say that in today's world, there's a lot of heat thrown on the family. Yeah. So we don't want families, but at the same time, most psychiatrists spend most of their money or get most of their income from people who are going and unpacking what it was when they were a kid growing yeah. up in a family. Trauma and so, so whether you like it or not in the positive or negative, as we learn emotions, social, even our bodies, yeah. even how we learn like about how to approach our bodies, we learn that from our families. Yeah. So our families have either formed us, deformed us or whatever. And what your family does is it teaches you how to survive. So yeah. this is very basic sort of psychological understanding yeah. that you get a personality by the age of seven. So by the age of seven years old, you pretty much have your general personality as to how you're going to interact in the world. Yeah. And you learned that from your family of origin. Yeah. And so that's why things like an alcoholic father or trauma or these types of things are so impactful because most of the time it happens at a very young age. So what Bowen's family system theory does is it sort of begins to peel the layers of the onion and go, okay, I'm an anxious person. Why am I an anxious person? And then why do I react this way when this happens? And when you go back to your family of origin and look at those things, you go, oh, it's because I learned to keep secrets or I learned to perform or I learned to do this here. And now I project that. And primarily what Bowen's family system theory does is really important is it's very helpful when you assess a church family. 
Yeah. A church family and a family of origin are very similar. And there's really no other institution in the world that's comparable to your family of origin like a church family. Yeah. I.e., this let's just get real. This might be highly offensive, but yeah. welcome to the podcast. <laughs> so let's say you grew up mostly women in a home. Let's yeah. say you're a woman who was raised by women and those women were hurt by men. 90% of the time, you're, you're probably going to have a suspicion of men. Yeah. And then you enter into a church and there's a male pastor. Well, there's a ton of red flags that you have going off. Yeah. So what Bowen's family system theory does is it sort of peels the layers back and goes, oh, here's why I feel and respond this way yeah. because this is what I learned in my family of origin. Yeah. And so it's really impactful. There's a tool that sort of goes parallel with Bowen's family system theory. Yeah. And it's a geneogram that yeah. I think we'll get into here in a little bit. Yeah. That's going to be really awesome. Yeah. I love family systems theory and, and I've experienced and benefited from it just in the last like 12 weeks. And it has been phenomenal to be able to unearth some of it. You'll learn stuff about yourself that you didn't even know or that you didn't even realize because it was formed in you when you were so young. So we'll provide uh, that tool and some other tools for you in the show notes. But let's move into these four types of families. If the family is foundational to our formation, we got to look at the types of families and the potential outcomes that we have. And here are some of them. The first one is ungodly families that remain ungodly. And the second one is ungodly families who turn godly. And then godly families who turn ungodly and then godly families that remain godly. Yeah. Um, that's basically, a th if you were to look at all of the families in the scriptures, yeah. that's like a 30,000 foot view, yeah, you know? Yeah, ungodly families who turn godly. Thanks be to God. Amen, dude. We've, yeah, absolutely. Like that, that's good news. We've seen a lot of that in our trek here at Westside. Yeah, in Southeast dude. Missouri. Families absolutely. Families to love and know Jesus. The amount, how many people have you baptized, do you think? <sighs> How many kids? I, dude, I don't know. Do we man. keep tallies on that? Yeah, we probably should. We probably should. I mean, we do, but I, that was something in the beginning that I was like, it was one of my pastoral mistakes. I was like, I'm not, we're not counting. The book of Acts counts. I should have counted. So. <laughs> yeah, anyway. I love those types of families because it gives us a perspective and maybe even a litmus test of where we're at. Like, are we an ungodly family? Do we love Jesus, and are we moving towards something that causes our family to revolve around or have a foundation built on Christ, or are we going to remain in our ways? Yeah. And I love those—and even even the danger here, too, of godly families who turn ungodly. That is— That is by far yeah. out of that list. Yeah, well, I mean, can I mean, we I talk mean, about that for a minute? Because that's what we're in in the culture right now with yeah. this idea of deconstruction and deconstructing faith, and yeah. what does that look like for— like? I've been listening to a podcast, and they're talking about both the health and the dangers of, of, of deconstruction of Christianity. And I think, first of all, we need to define that word and sure. a healthy way of moving towards de deconstruction. Because if we are breaking down old foundations and building up new ones, there are some things maybe that aren't biblical that could come out, some stones that could be removed. Can we talk about as a family what it looks like to healthily maybe deconstruct some poor unbiblical ideas that our families revolve around on or are built on? Yeah, sure. And I think, again, it goes back to sort of the family of origin. And I'll give a story. Like when we were in St. Louis and I was a student pastor, we I, my first year there, I had all of these kids. We had a growing student ministry and I had probably, you know, two dozen kids come up to me and say, hey, we're going to be gone for the next six weeks. We're, we're going to confirmation. And I was like, confirmation? Like, what's that? And they were like, oh, well, we're Catholic. I was like, well, you're not 
Catholic? Like you accepted Christ here at Extreme Student Ministries. Like, what do you mean? And the more and more that I would talk, what they meant was my grandmother's Catholic. Right. Now, here's what I mean by this. Praise God for your Catholic grandmother. Like, that's awesome, dude. Okay. Catholic grandmas can pray. Yeah, dude. What I mean is they were doing something that was in a family value system that was sort of unspoken to them. So what I mean by that is at some point, we as families have to evaluate what has been handed to us. And there are absolutely things that we have to eat the meat and spit out the bones. One of the things that I said that was really important is this is not an excuse to now rag on your family of origin. Because for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You could have been raised by the cleavers and you were still raised by sinners. Okay, And so what this does is it allows you to go, oh, through this wisdom, all truth is God's truth. Whether it comes from Bowen's family system theory, that's great, but that leads you to a greater understanding of God. And especially, man, when you look at something like a godly family that turns ungodly, yeah. 90% of the time it's because there was trauma yeah. that happened there. And um, I had a conversation a few weeks back with a guy who's been a pastor at a number of churches and his kids don't talk to him anymore mm-hmm. because he either sacrificed his family for the ministry or some other things happened and this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. And man, to untie a tangled knot because you were growing up in this family of origin going, wow, these were our value systems. And then a Mack truck smashes into your family. And now for the rest of your life, you're just trying to pick up the pieces of what that is. But the reason why it's important when you hear those four types is you need to ask yourself, which one of those did I come from? Yeah. Because whether it be unconscious or conscious, it is affecting you now. You've got to understand that. Yeah, no, that's good. That's really good. Well, in the passage in Joshua 24, Joshua's dying. Uh, These are his last words. And God's promised Abraham and Moses this promised land uh, that they would go into and that they would take possession of as a gift from God. And Joshua's leading his people into this land. And the whole context is new throughout this this theme. And he... Joshua addresses and says about his house, like, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How is how is that sort of paving the way for the people of Israel that are moving into this new promised land? I mean, we know in the passage that he's like, hey, if you're going to make the choice, then make the choice. Right. You're going to go and worship these gods, or, you're, or but for me and my house. Super confrontational yeah, message, bro. Yeah, like. yeah. <laughs> He's old and dying and yeah. just like dropping. This I love it, dude. And he's an angry like, preacher. Yeah, I love and it. How, how does this, I mean, how does this pave the way in terms of like leadership in, in his family? I mean, he's he's governing the direction that his wife and kids and, and the future is going to move towards, to yeah. move forward to. Why is that important? And how can maybe we can talk to the men or the husbands or the patriarchs of families right now to lead in that direction? Yeah, I think it's because Joshua understands a concept that's definitely not popular today. And it's this, as the family goes, so goes society. So it doesn't matter how strong Israel's army is. And here's the reason why. Let's say that you have a fantastic general of your army and he leads other men fairly well, but is a horrible leader at home. Well, guess what? There's a time stamp and an expiration date on his military leadership because a man is only as much of a leader as he leads at home. And so what what Joshua knows is, is that when we go in and we're building this society, this is Israel, this is God's people, 
the the corporate vision will only happen as this vision is applied individually to these homes. Yeah. And specifically, he's speaking to the the leaders of the homes. And what we understand in the patriarchy environment is that probably would have been primarily the males. Yeah. And there's another reason for that, and we'll get into it more in the series and stuff like that. But Joshua knows, listen, if we're going into this new land and we're trying to build this theocracy and a government and all of these types of things, Yeah. This society is only as strong as the weakest family. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's good. Well, and Joshua understood that that big idea that that family is foundational. Yeah. That the formation of your family is foundational. And so you broke down for us from the text just one simple thing with a couple subpoints. Number one, we got to break down the old foundations, and there are things that come from that. In verse 14, he says it right there in the text, put away the gods that your father served. Yeah. Put away the gods. You talked. You talked about the cow. You talked about the the calf. Can we, can we talk about that for a little bit more in extension? Sure. Like yeah. like why did they build the golden calf? Why was the what what was the cow symbolic of as a god for the people of Egypt? And why was Israel um, uh, tempted to draw that and to hold on to that? Sure. So a lot of people forget, but Paul says in First Corinthians that what happened and what was written down in former days is for our instruction. Yeah. People in the Old Testament were saved the same way that we are, yeah. by grace through faith in the, in the promise. I say that to say, when God was creating a new people, starting with Abraham, and then through Moses, and then through Joshua, these people were living by faith in a promise that God had. A prophet would stand up and say, God has this plan. He would yeah. give a word from the Lord. So they were constantly going into new lands, Yeah. With a promise, they don't. They can't see. It's not like as tangible as this table. Yeah. They are believing in faith, just like we believe in faith. Yeah. But I would say, I mean, we've got the Bible and stuff now, but anyway. Yeah. So every time they went into a new land, God would say, number one, don't be marrying these women. Right. All right, don't be messing around with these women yeah. because you're going to end up worshiping these pagan gods. Yeah. They were always surrounded by cultural influences. And yeah. Joshua says it twice in the passage. He says, put away the gods of your fathers or you're going to serve the gods of the Canaanites. Yeah. So he says two things there. There's generational pressure that we're about to get into and talk about, but there's cultural pressure. We yeah. see this when Moses goes up the mountain and gets the Ten Commandments from God. Yeah. That what happens at the base of the mountain is the people turn to Aaron and they say, let us make a God that we can see. Yeah. That is... I mean, that is the great sin. Yeah. That That's the temptation. Yeah. Let us build a God that we can see. And they build a calf. Yeah. Well, if you've ever wondered, like, well, why did they build a, a, a cow? Right. Really? Yeah. Like, it couldn't have been a bear or something <laughs> really cool. It was a cow. Well, when you look back, guess what one of the gods of Egypt was? Yeah. It was a cow no. because it gave you steak and steak is godly. Right. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. so in a moment of temptation, when they didn't live by faith, they built an idol of a God that they could see. And what Joshua is telling the people is this temptation will never go away. Yeah. So you guys have to make a choice. You have to put those gods away and you have to serve the God of the Bible. Yeah. 
That's good. Every every time I sidetrack here, every t- I love that story because every time I hear it, I love Aaron's response. He's like, well, the people gave me this gold and we threw it in the fire and this cow popped out. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, idolatry will lead to lying. We'll yes. just go ahead and say yes. that right now. Uh, but Joshua is teaching us this profound principle. You got to go back in order to go forward. You got to look back and see either what you can deconstruct, pull down, rip apart and why or in order to move forward. And so you talked a bit, a little bit about uh, Pete Pete's uh, Cesaro, Cesaro? Yeah, that's good enough. Yeah. I don't even know if I ever say it right. Yeah, his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Yes. Um, he talks about families of origin, a little bit of what we've talked about here. Um, but no matter positive or negative, we've been formed or deformed by our family of origin. And he says a couple things in the book. First, he says the blessings and sins of our families going back two to three generations profoundly impact who we are today. Yep. They profoundly impact who we are today. And really quickly, I just want to say, we know this to be true because if we look at the Rockefeller family, right? well, the next, every Rockefeller that's born is set for life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. why? Yeah. Because of the inheritance of money. Right. <clears throat> okay. We know that to be true there, but for some reason we go dumb when it goes to emotional health, yeah. spiritual health, all of those things. Yeah. That's why he says the blessings and the sins. The yeah. blessings is that's fantastic, but it is also true in the brokenness yeah. as well, which is yeah. massively well, important. I think that's where the tool that we mentioned it a moment ago, the the uh, the genogram. Um, yeah. could really, can we talk about that in a little more depth of like what that offers a family? It's the genogram is essentially not. It's not just a tool where you sit down and say how do how does my family, my wife and three kids operate. It actually says how did my great grandparents operate? Yeah, and so, how did they treat my grandparents and their and then my parents and yeah, can you unpack yeah. that a little bit? So basically what a geneogram is, is it's strictly data and it's really important to know that you yeah. are like one of the things they tell you when making a geneogram is don't jump to conclusion. Like right. don't jump to, yeah. because what it is, it's, it's a lot deeper than just a family tree Yeah, because you still connect the relationships. Yeah. So what you do is you go back three or four generations and you look at, okay, here was this marriage Okay, and then they got divorced and then remarried here, and then that brought, and you draw these lines and these bubbles, and and you just step back. Yeah. And you look and go, oh. Yeah. Because, example, um, when, when somebody steps back and goes, oh, my mom was divorced. Yeah. My grandmother was divorced, and my great-grandmother was divorced. Yeah. Okay. Do you think that that's probably impacting you yeah. right now? Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. And so what that does is it allows you to sort of go back with some tools and helps yeah. and go, how was I formed in light of this? Now, I need to say really quickly here, you are not your past. Yeah. And, and can I say this? Your past does not define you. Yeah. It explains you. Yeah. Huge difference. Your past does not define you. That does not mean that's who you're going to be because what we're saying is our goal is to break down and build up. Your past does not define you. This is really good news, but it does explain you and that's okay. So I think that first point that he says in the book is really important. Yeah. Well, the second point here is discipleship requires putting off the sinful patterns of our family of origin and relearning how to do life God's way in God's family. And can I say really quickly, if if, if you're looking to read a book in 2022, I cannot stress this enough. When I read this book about three, maybe four years ago, it, it literally 
changed the game for me. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is his whole thesis is you cannot be spiritually mature and yeah. emotionally immature. Yeah. And it just connected the dots for me of, man, how are these people say they're Christians and they've grown up in church for 40 years but they are such a manipulating, how does the church, like, what are we supposed, why do I have these tendencies? Why am I a manipulator or whatever? And it's because we've been sold a bill of goods. And listen, true discipleship is getting into the nitty gritty of this, guys. It is forming patterns that form us to follow Jesus better. Well, and one of the things I love about the geneogram and and Bowen's family systems theory is when when you sit down to do a geneogram, they encourage you to get um, a small, close circle of friends or family Mm -hmm. that you really trust. And to ask them when you said, as you step back, when you step back, you allow them to say, what do you see here? And what are some things that you see either in my life or whatever? And when I read that for the first time, I was like, "That's yes, that's the family, and yes, that's our friends, but that's the church. Like we invite this body of brothers and sisters in Christ with freedom to be able to say, hey, bro, I see this. This is something I want to help you with or that we need to pay attention to or maybe unearth some things. No question. So I love that. We see this a little bit in um, in David's life. In 2 Samuel 12, says, Now therefore this... Uh, sorry, God says this to David. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife and you also had her husband killed in the front lines of battle. And like, dude, from this <clears throat> moment forward, we see David's kid, like yeah. his daughters get raped and he doesn't do like this moment. And yes. And, and it continues even more. Yeah. In Exodus 34 um, and six through seven says the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithful. Gosh, this is, these are good words. Yeah, man. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Hold up. When I just read that, that's a, that seems like a stark line between sure. those two verses. Can we unpack if these are contradicting or contrasting one another or the redeeming qualities of what those last two verses actually mean? Sure. And we said this Sunday, I said, a lot of us, when we read this, think, oh my gosh, God is punishing my kids for what my grandfather did. Right. Well, number one, God doesn't punish his kids. Okay, so Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no, that's why we use the language in our family. We don't punish our kids. We don't say like you're getting punished or banish them or do anything like that. (laughs) Banish thee. (laughs) Literally the origin of the word disciple is discipline. God disciplines those whom he loves. And here's what we need to know. And when I say this, there's going to be this thing that I'm just forewarning you, podcaster, whoever's listening to this, there's going to be this little God that rises up in you whenever you hear this. Our consequence, our choices have consequences, Yeah. whether you like it or not. Yeah. Nobody sins in isolation. Yeah. That's why the commandments, literally, when you look at them, you can't break a commandment. Yeah. without doing it to somebody else. Yeah. And one of the things that's so important to know in the sentence that we said was, all sin is equally damning. Yeah. Okay, so let's stop there. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we fall short of God's justice, his holiness, his perfection, yeah. that we by nature are children of wrath, all of those things. Yeah. But 
not all sin is equally devastating. Yeah. Okay, so example, let's say you're in an argument and you just fly off the handle, cuss somebody out, you're angry at them, all of that type of stuff, okay? And yeah. then later you you know, you apologize, I'm so sorry I flew off the handle. Well, I mean, dude, you, you had anger there, your your words were hurtful, there's a lot of sin involved there. Or let's say that you have a secret affair for 15 years. Yeah. Well, okay. Both of those are sins. Right. They're equally damning in God's sight. They are not equally devastating to your family. Yeah. And that's what God is saying. Yeah. The reason why, and, and we say this at Westside, and I heard another pastor say this, and it was so impactful for me. When God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. Yeah. That's what God is saying. Yeah. I don't, there there will be consequences that will visit your family. And we see this in David's life. So so quick example, just really personal for me. When I look at my geneogram, my dad did not meet his biological father until he was 37 years old. Yeah. His biological father was an alcoholic who went to go get a pack of cigarettes and a watermelon and never came back. Yeah. His adopted, the reason why we're Jordan it's because A.B. Jordan adopted my dad and gave yeah. him his last name. A.B. Jordan was a chronic alcoholic. My dad struggled with alcohol. So do you think that's in the cards for me somewhere? Mm. Absolutely. To be aware of these things and to look at that. But again, this does not define you. Yeah. It explains you. Yeah. And you can only know where you're going by where you're at. Yeah. We've all gotten into our Google Maps. We've been in a city going, where's that nearest Chick-fil-A? Because I got to get that Chick-fil-A sauce. <laughs> yeah, right. And you punch in the address. What does your GPS do? Yeah. It finds where you are yeah. in order to know where you're going. Yeah. And so that's why these things are massively important. But we got into a little bit more about these gods that might yeah. have been handed down to us. Yeah. I, well, I've typed them out here and we'll, we'll provide those in the show notes too. And if, I think we've got them on our social media page too. On, yep. on yeah. That Facebook picture. Page. Yeah. But we, uh, they're the 10 commandments of family. Um, and, and these, by the way, give credit where credit's due, all come from Pete and the Emotionally yeah, Healthy Church. Yeah, and by the way, the Ten Commandments of Family, these are Ten Commandments that we often live by but should not. No, yeah, yeah this is the, absolutely. We're not saying do this. We're saying don't, yeah. don't do this. Let's walk through some of the. Well, we can just walk through all of them. we got a little bit of time. Uh, the first one is, well, I'll just list them off and then we'll go through them. Money, conflict, sex, grief and loss, expressing anger, family, Seven is relationships. Eight, attitudes towards other cultures. Nine is success. And 10 is feelings and emotions. Which, by the way, those are like any psychologist would walk through those top 10 with you. Yeah. Because all of those things are the most forming things for us as human beings that we need to learn how to operate in. And your family forms you a certain way towards these 10 things. Interesting that the number one at the top of the psychological list is money. Always. Yeah. Some of the lies that we believe, these commandments that were were rolled around, money is the best source of security. And the more that you have, the more important you are. Yep. Conflict, avoid it at all costs. Don't make people mad at you. Wow. Dude, that's one that I resonate with on the 10,000th degree. Yep. We... We did a lot to try and resolve and reconcile in my family unit, um, but we did not unearth the deep, hard problems that were the cause of conflict. We were putting on Band-Aids when we needed surgery, and the main avoidance was don't do anything that would cause more surgery. Or like, think about this. I grew up even... Which is what a Band-Aid on open wound does. Right. I grew up with the understanding of 
like it wasn't healthy, that the kids were not okay to say to a parent that you are making me angry. Yeah. Well, guess what? It's totally healthy and okay yeah. for your kid to look at you and say, yeah. you're making me angry right now. Now, you still might be right as a parent, yeah. but what these are is like what Joshua is saying. These are these foreign gods of your fathers that yeah. have just been unconsciously sp- spoke, unspoken or spoken, passed yeah. down to you, man. Yeah, no, that's good. And it's also okay to look at your kid if they say that they're angry at you and say, that's okay. It's okay, like, bud. That's okay. You can be angry at me. We yep. just, we've just been in a whirlwind of uh, re-sleep, re- reworking sleep schedules after a little family trip to Kansas City. And and Jesse has looked at me and, and said, I'm mad. I want you to go away. And, right. And we're having to navigate those new roads, and I have blown it a couple times with that. And like, it's okay to say, yeah. baby girl, well, I love you, and yeah. I ain't going away. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I love you. I'm staying here. That's and, right, man. And I'm sorry. Like, it's okay to apologize to your kids. Sure. Say, I blew it, man. Like, that's okay. Third one is sex. Uh, in our family, we don't talk about This is a rhetorical. Sure. We don't talk about it. And the idea that men are allowed, it's acceptable for men to be promiscuous, you know, look, don't touch or or whatever, uh, but women can't. Women must remain abstinent. And what was the other word on there? I can't remember the... Uh, Chast. Chast, there you go. But, you know, like for example, and this might be a too personal of a question, but did you ever get sat down and get the talk? Yeah, it was my mom and it was brief. Okay, Um, yeah. Very brief. I didn't... I learned it from school mostly. Well, I got the talk after I had already like gotten caught with stuff. Yeah. And so now there's like this cart before the horse, like all of this stuff. And so, yeah, but just think about how important we're supposed to learn... Like when you look at ancient cultures, the family of origin taught all of these things first. It would have been absolutely mind-boggling for an individual. Those people were literally the outcasts of society who that society taught these things. And so, yeah, man, That's just what you were saying earlier, even from our family of origin, we uh, how we deal with our bodies and how we approach our bodies. That's something that we learn from our family. Uh, Four is grief and loss. Uh, and that's summarized as sadness is weakness, yep. and you're not allowed to be depressed. Yep. You're not allowed to have those emotions, and that sadness is somehow wrong or weak. And and really quickly, I need to preface here. Yeah, yeah. The reason why a lot of these things happen, for example, let's say that you have a child that is d- down and out and depressed, yeah. and that triggers something in the mother, so she's like, don't be depressed. Yeah. Well, the reality is, is that there's something in the mom that has been passed on to her that she hasn't worked out. Again, yeah. this is not excuses to rag on your family. Right. This does not define you. Yeah. But what it does is it explains how you are. I just I really want to keep stating yeah. that, man, because I think our generation walks that fine line of you know, calling up our parents and going, the reason why I'm a failure is because yeah. dad didn't. Li-. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Yes, there's responsibility. Yes, there's hurt. Yes, there's sin. And And by the way, I'm also not talking about grievous sin and trauma, okay? If there's abuse, if there, oh my goodness gracious, you know, God's word has a lot to say about those things. Again, this is just at a 30,000 foot view, trying to tear down those former gods that have been passed down to us. Yeah. Number five is expressing anger. Mm. This false commandment says anger is bad. Yeah, man. And it's okay to explode to make a point or to use sarcasm as a vent for your anger. Yep. Dude, that was like, 
I am very familiar with the culture of sarcasm. And yeah. It is. I still. I'm. I still revisit that, but it has taken. I think over that's a generational for us too. Of, yeah. Think about South Park for us. No, I'm serious, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm dude. Like, because I have resonated. Yes, yeah. our whole generation's yeah. a bunch of spoiled, sarcastic punks, yeah. man. Like we never learned how to. Yeah. Like anger in my family, like. Man, that was not yeah. good. If I can be mean to you and take the edge off with humor, then it'll be easier. Yeah, you sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, family. Number six is family. Um, this one's tough, guys. Yep. You, you owe your parents for everything they've done for you. Man, I, yeah. you know, without too much detail, said Sunday, I know of a situation where a child was working out some of these things Yeah. and the mother shut it down because deeply wounded woman yeah. and looked at the child and said, do you know what I've given up for you? Mm. That's unhealthy, man. That's looking at your child and saying you're a burden to me. Well, that's, yeah. that's deflected. I mean, yeah. that's just a whole gambit yeah. of stuff like that. But yeah. man, that's, yeah. but guys, I mean, are we being on, are we going to talk yeah. about the family, man? Yeah. Like this yeah. is, we're By getting the way, into we're it. we're saying don't do these. Yes, <laughs> just yes. To, just, called, these are the gods of your fathers. Yeah, the commandment word here is tongue in cheek. Yes. Um, and then duty to family comes before everything. Oh, um, yeah. That's the other part of the family commandment, the lie that we believe. Number seven is relationships. Um it's, it's not healthy. Don't trust or be vulnerable mm. um, because they'll let you down. That, so this is really interesting with families that are going through a tough time. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll experience this as a pastor. Somebody will come up and sort of confide and say, pray. And, oh man, I hope, I hope that they'll talk to you. And I'll go, well, man, let me reach out to them. And yeah. they will go, no, 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 no. no. Please, no. no yeah. pl- oh, please, God, no. Yeah. They can't know that I've talked to you. Yeah. And I'm like, hold on a second. Yeah. If this is a serious, if this building is on fire. Right. And I'm not running up and down every floor saying, hey, guys, it's on fire. Yeah. But some of us grew up in families that said, shh, you, yeah. let, you let the building burn. Yeah. Like, don't tell anybody that it's on fire, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Number eight, attitudes toward other cultures. There were crickets. Oh. <laughs> I don't, there, dude, there are some directions that you go in, in deep biblical truth and honesty that our culture it rails against. And I'm proud of you. I appreciate that because you could hear the air yeah. suck out of the yeah. room Sunday. Yeah, the lie of attitudes toward other cultures is... um only be close with people like you, uh, and, e- and even more on the nose. Don't marry a person of another race or a culture. And I said Sunday, listen, yeah. I hear a lot, and I have heard a lot growing up from Christians in churches. Yeah. Well, I just think that God made different people, and those different people should just be with their kind. <laughs> okay. Well, number mm. one, the Bible has nothing to say about interracial marriage. Yeah. If anything, it has good things to say about it because yeah. what's heaven going to be like? Right. Oh yeah, yeah. it's going to be interracial. Okay. Yeah. Here's 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 where it got lost in translation somewhere. Yeah. Yep. It's interfaith marriages. Yeah. So when God tells Joshua, tell those people not to marry the Canaanite women, yeah. nothing to do with race. Yeah. Because back then you were known by your religion yeah. much more than you were known. I mean, your ethnicity was all about your religion. Yeah. And Joshua says, you can't do that because if you're building a foundation and you're disagreed upon what God yeah. you worship, 
Philip. Yeah. There's only division in that house. The wisest man in the world, apart from Jesus, that was his downfall. Yeah. That was Solomon's down at the end of his life and all of his wisdom. He was hooking up with women and marrying women. Yes. Who and other guys, yeah. for God's sake, is one woman not enough for you? <laughs> like, yeah. goodness gracious, man. <laughs> Excuse me. Number nine is success. Um, and success is this. You, you have to get into the best schools. You have to make lots of money. And you have to be married and you have to have kids. Yep. And you got to have the fence and the boat and the 401k. That's and it, man. That. That's it. That is what success is. And if you don't arrive there, then you're doing something wrong. Yep. Yeah. And then number nine, feelings and emotions. And this this was the home run for me, man. You're not allowed to feel blank. Mm. So going back to like maybe the screaming toddler, I'm angry at you. No, no, no. You're not allowed to be angry at mom and dad. Right. That's wrong. Right. That does not give an avenue for a child to be able to express a reality of what is going on. And and, and what our job as parents is, yeah, absolutely, yeah. is to teach them how to express it the right way. Yeah, yeah. And so... What happened like, to those fridge magnets where it's like, today I feel right? happy. Yes. Today I feel angry. Today, like, like Courtney's had to call that yeah. out in me a bunch, man, that I have tried to multiple times shut down how my kids are feeling because yeah. in all honesty, it makes me feel a certain way. It yeah. gives me anxiety. Yeah. And the reality is, is that's not my job as yeah. a parent. My job as a parent is to teach them how to properly express themselves. Yeah. So you can't look at dad and say this, yeah. but you can feel this and we can discuss this a certain way. Yeah. You know? That's good. That's good. And the back half of that is your is basically, it's just saying your feelings don't matter. You're reacting out of your feelings without thinking, and that's okay. Yeah. And that's just an emotionally unhealthy environment. If we're trying to be spiritually healthy and mature, that needs to grow. Yeah. And listen, the reason why we spent a good chunk of this is because Joshua says in the passage twice, yeah. put away yeah. the gods of your fathers. Yeah. And we are not so far removed, as C.S. Lewis would say, to have chronological snobbery, to say that, oh, we don't struggle with any of those things, guys. Yeah. They're right there. Yeah. They're right there. Yeah. No, that's good. Well, the second point that we, that we got into was make the choice today. I mean, that's just what Joshua says there. He's like, make the decision today. Make yeah. it happen today. And I want to ask, I mean, we essentially ended with this with this um, in action, this action step, this opportunity, we printed, you designed, and Smart Marketing designed it. Yeah, they did. Smart Marketing, use them for all of your business needs and marketing needs. Yes. Um, and we had a printout, it was on a nice card stock, and as families came forward for communion on Sunday, they picked one of those up. Yep. And which is a good action step. Can you walk us through what that is? You can include a snapshot of that on the show notes yeah. or uh, have them available in the lobby throughout the series. Yeah, so the whole context, <clears throat> again, this just, Guys, we just really try to bring it from from the Bible. So, yeah. so the whole context of Joshua twenty four is a covenant. It's a yeah. declaration. Yeah. And so, because your family needs a direction, so you need to declare a direction for your family. Yeah. And so, what we did is we just had New Year, New Family. We had that verse Joshua twenty four fifteen. Yeah. And then this is sort of a two part sermon. This this sermon we're discussing right now is about breaking down the old foundation. Yeah. And we're going to learn about building up a new foundation. And we're using this acronym. Listen, I'm so sorry. I've listened to a lot of rap music. I'm a simple man, but I know what love is. And and so the way that I learn is just the way that I learn. Yeah. So when you go, what is a house? What's what is a Christian home? Yeah. Okay. And we have to be broad in this definition because yeah. we can't be the evangelical idolaters and say, well, a family is um, a husband and a wife and two kids and a golden retriever, right. and because they're single people. 
there's widowed people, there's all of yeah. this. So a house, an acronym, H-O-U-S-E, yeah. we're, we're talking about it being holy, yeah. obedient, united, serving everyone. Yeah. That's a house. Yeah. And so what we said is, listen, we want you to have a moment with families because it says we declare and dedicate by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ yeah. that this home will be a house of God. And we said, read those scriptures, sign everybody in the family. Like Piper's going to have her little backwards P signatures on ours, and it's going to be great. And frame that and put it somewhere in your home. Yeah. So you have a vision for your family, because this is really yeah. important. And we said this two Sundays ago. If you don't have a vision for your family, life will yeah. give you a vision for your family that you don't want. Yeah. No, that's good. Well, I'm, I want to revisit just with one question before we close up this this illustration, the Ten Commandments of the family. The undergirding thesis around all ten of these really kind of lands on lies. Mm. Lies you believe, lies you tell yourself, yep. and lies you tell your family yep. um, that are not rooted in Scripture or are skewed by a misunderstanding or a lie that was believed um, drawn from the Scriptures that were not truly in them. So based on that, and I know I've heard you in conversations this year talk about the word honesty. Yeah. Um, with that in mind, and these Ten Commandments, quote, in mind, what are some tangible, like one tangible action step a family can take to leave behind these kinds of patterns and to pick up this new healthy biblical pattern for their family? Yeah. Um, I, have a, I have a friend who's an architect, and he's very famous for saying, um, you know, he would tell me about these jobs that he's doing and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, how do you do that? And he would always go, one line at a time, yeah. you know, so one, the St. Louis arch, one line at a time. Yeah. And when you look at this, it gets overwhelming because yeah. you think, oh my God, I, I have to fix five generations of my family and right. it all stops with me. And <laughs> well, listen, we're talking about progress, not perfection. Yeah. Okay. So I would do this. I would look at those 10 commandments, uh, you know, the false 10 commandments, the yeah. lies that you've been told. Yeah. I would very simply pray through them. If you're married, I would have your spouse do that. Yeah. And I would just, the first one, the first one that rises to the surface. Yeah. I would just confess it. Yeah. I would just admit it. Yeah. I would just say that. Honesty, that, man. Like, I would just say, man, I really think and believe that it's not okay to be angry. Yeah. And I've done this to my kids. I was told this. And then, now that that's conscious and yeah. aware, then I it's just living every day in the awareness yeah. and knowing, oh, I'm doing this right now. Yeah. I need to repent. I need to do this. Because the big thing is, and, and here's the reason why honesty is so important, and especially when we're looking at generational sins, yeah. whatever's hidden will never be healed. Mm. So in Second Kings, where I got the word honesty from, and it's been a huge scripture for me, is when Nahum dips in the pool seven times. Yeah. It says at the beginning of the passage that he's a strong man, a man of valor, of strength, like all of these lists and characters. Yeah. And there's this story, Elijah doesn't even go out and meet him, all of this stuff, but he has to strip down. Yeah. And it literally says, and Nahum took off his armor and exposed his leprosy because mm. God wasn't impressed with the armor. Yeah. But in order for him to be healed, he had to dip seven times. Yeah. So whatever's hidden will never be healed in your family. Yeah. And please listen, if you think that you can cover it up and sweep it under the rug, I just have a very simple question for you. How did that work for you? Yeah, It's not going to work for yeah. your kids. It's yeah. not going to work. So honesty, I really do think is a beautiful yeah. thing. And I think it can just be as simple 
as one thing, yeah, one line at a time. Yeah, I think praying through those is an excellent exercise in honesty and awareness. Just engaging in those practices of being honest about these things and yeah. being aware already starts to work the new foundation for your family, for your family to be found foundationed and built upon Jesus. No question. That's good, man. That's good. I'm going to read two passages, one from Deuteronomy 6 and then one from Hebrews 12 to kind of round this out, and then we can kind of close out with some things that are coming up, maybe an announcement about what's coming up two Sundays from now yep. um, and what people can expect from that. So listen to these words from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Amen. This is good news for us, man. I'm really excited to hear about the good news that will come from families at the end of this series. And, Absolutely. And maybe we can have time and share and do some stuff like that. What we got coming up, man? I know in a couple weeks, um, well, we're still launching into New Year, New Family. Yeah, man. In a couple weeks from now, uh, a, a group of us and our leaders are headed off to Grace for Summit. Yeah, man. That's going to um, be awesome, dude. It, it's like a homecoming for us, yeah, man. Yeah, it's going to really be cool. rad. And some things that you need to know, if, um, if you're going to be worshiping with us, we have two options for you. One, you can worship with us online, or two, you can join the gathering. The building will be unlocked, and you can actually come into Westside at 10 a.m. and sit down, and we'll have the pre-recorded service that will also be live-streamed on the projector for everybody to watch. Yeah, absolutely. To together. So if you want to come, and you want to fellowship, and you want to see uh, the person you see every Sunday that you smile and say, peace be with you, and it's good to see you, come on, oh, is it the 20, it's the 23rd. The 23rd January at 10 a.m. Yep. 10 a.m. Yep, come to and that. And then if you're listening to the <clears throat> podcast on Wednesday, uh, tonight, Westside Youth are meeting there at the church from 6.30 to 8.30, hanging out, playing some games, having fun. So just a reminder, if you're listening to this on this Wednesday, please come and hang out. Baller. Got a plethora of resources for you in the show notes today. Be sure to check those out. We're going to link the bowencenter.org where you can learn more about Bowen's Family Systems Theory, and then a link from their website with the Family Diagram, which is essentially another word for the genogram. Um, You can go through that and read about that exercise. And then three or four books will be in the show notes as well. One from Bowen, uh, one from the Ballswick family, and then uh, the Pete Scazzaro book that we were talking about. Um, So if you want those resources, check that out. As always, uh, you can gather and worship with us at Westside on 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. Uh, We also live stream our service on Facebook Live at 10 a.m. You can catch this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm looking forward. I got some good guests lined up for the next uh, couple months, which will be super fun. I got to reach out and call and see if we can secure some dates. But man, I'm looking forward to talking to some people. It's going to be a good time. You got anything else for us? No, man. Just uh, send in any of your questions yeah, that you yeah. got in regards to the family. Oh, that's right. We have a question. We do have week. a question. I blew right by that. Here is the question from one of our listeners. It is this. 
My question was, why do we say thanks be to God instead of praise be to God? I never thought anything of it, but my boyfriend asked me and I didn't know. And when I thought about it, they seemed to mean a little bit different things. So to kind of give you a little bit of a backstory of what this is about, um, every single Sunday after the announcements, before Pastor Jason gets up to deliver the sermon, we will have what is called the reading of the text or the text reading. And we have a a person who's delegated to come forward like this week, Matt Foster, I love you. And I know that you don't care that I said your name. (laughs) Um, He came up and read from Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. At the conclusion, we say, this is the word of the Lord. And we all respond together thanks be to God. So that's what this question is referring to. I've got some things I want to say, but Jason, why don't you fire ahead? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would love just go ahead and answer, man. Yeah. This is the worship department. Make it happen. Yeah. No, that's great. I think um, I got a few things written out here. One of them, Psalm chapter 35, verse 18 says, I will give thanks to you in the great assembly. I mean, I don't know how much better we, <laughs> there can, you go. we can abide by that. Love it. But then there's a semicolon that says, among the throngs, I will praise you which is the other word. Yep. Now, those words mean two different things, but what we see here in the Psalms and all throughout the Psalms, thanksgiving and being thankfulness is actually an act of praise and worship. Mm. Coming to God in a thankful way is an act of praise and worship. But we also see, hold on a second, let me pull this up, um, in a couple other passages, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Chronicles 16, and then in Psalm 35, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you mm. in Christ Jesus. In First Chronicles, give thanks to the Lord because he's good yeah. and his love endures forever. One of the overarching things that we, the reason that we say thanks be to God is a pastor said this once, and I love it. If you want to hear God speak, read your Bible out loud. There you go. Guys, when we read the text on a Sunday morning, we are hearing God speak to us. And I don't know what else we can be thankful for than that, to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, God speaking to us through his word, by his spirit, on a Sunday morning, that our response should be, thanks be to God. There's also some church history stuff that's there as well, but Absolutely. that's what I wanted to say. We yeah. approach God's word and hearing from God with gratefulness and thankfulness, and thereby in doing that, it is an act of worship. Love it. Yep. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, if you're saying thanks be to God, praise be to God, I think awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's yeah. like, it, you know, it's like you said, I think there's an act of church history there. Yeah. There's synonyms involved in both yeah. ones. At the end of the day, what we are doing is we are responding to something outside of us. Yeah. That's why everything stops. Yeah. There is a reading and, and it also is important. The reason why the reader says, and sometimes in very high churches, yeah. they will say, thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Yeah. And the reason why they say that is, is, is they want to draw a contrast between the word of men and yeah. the word of God. Yeah. They don't want the preacher's words and God's words to have an equal platform yeah. because they should not yeah. because it is God's word yeah. being read. Love it. Yeah. It's good stuff. It's okay if you say praise be to God too. You can say thanks be to God and you can say praise be to God. And the heart and where you come from and knowing the word of God is outside of you and the good news is being delivered. That is the point and that is the driving thing. Awesome. Well, that's it for us. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me back. Yeah, man. Love it's it, nice. dude. Looking forward to the future of the rest of the sermon. As always, guys, we love you. You got all the information you need. We will talk to you soon. And may, as always, man, I'm butchering the end of this. May everything we do and say be all about Jesus. We love you guys. Blessings. And we will catch you later. Peace. Peace.